0: is falling in the United States. He reminds us that anywhere between 6 to 10,000 churches a month are being closed in the United States. That they are closing some are becoming stores, some are becoming parking lots. And we're not starting new churches as quickly as the other ones are closing. Something's happening in our culture, in our society. That we need to be very much aware of. But at the same time, because we're aware of something, should not stop the progress that those that are alive and well should be doing. If you check in historical part of the church... The church itself kind of like withdrew from public works, from sitting on public boards, from being involved in what we call the world, and so forth, and it tried to build its own little kingdom. There was nothing wrong with starting Christian schools, and I think it's one of the best things to do because it takes us and it retrains the mind a little differently. It points us towards different goals to achieve. And it teaches us that we are not here to satisfy ourselves, but we're here with a purpose of living for God and serving. And if you understood in Peter where he calls us that we are his priest, and what is the meaning of a priest? Nothing but the word servant, that we serve. So we're here to serve a dying world. Jesus came to serve, a dying world, a lost world, and the church has a, a twofold work. One, it is to build the saints of God, and secondly, it is to work in its community, in its locality, and in such a way that it has an impact upon that community that brings about a God consciousness, not so much that they're saved, but there's a consciousness about God. Because the church has been so quiet and so still and so withdrawn, we have lost even the consciousness of God or God-fearing. People no longer really fear God. It's not an issue if they are saved. It is an issue that, first of all, is there a God-fearing about them, of reverence, of respect. And the church primary task is to save souls. To see people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But if that's all you do and you don't do the other, then the job is only half done. It is to be done simultaneously. Both are to be worked at. And in doing the one, hopefully brings about the other. Our national office, I hope some of you take Alliance Life with you today, and nothing wrong with reading Tozier you says in one of his first little statements, "Faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. There is no glory for God in that which humanly possible. Faith begins where man's power ends. Faith begins where our power ends. Our national office. Where's the picture at now? I should have marked it." is going to be different than our other national offices that we have built over the years. We have made uh, two moves, one from Nyack, New York, out to Colorado Springs, and without Colorado Springs for about 15 years or more, moved from Colorado Springs now to Columbus, Ohio. But that's somewhat a picture of our new national office. We bought a shopping mall strip, strip, And uh, that's the picture of the new building, and downstairs you're going to see a coffee shop. There's going to be some retail shops, but the offices are going to be above it. And uh, so it's going to be different as a model also, even to our churches, because it is being predicted more and more that the church is not going to be able to sustain itself without having something else and another resource that comes in. Uh, So many churches are beginning to look at other sources of income because the congregation is not going to be able to keep up. And that might be a good thing because God is beginning to force us back out rather than just inward. Now, I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 4 with me, and I want you to see, and many of you know four eleven, Ephesians 4.11, and sometimes we call these offices within the church, or we call these gifts within the body of Christ, but in the Greek they are the verb term, so there's an active thing that is going on, and therefore it is a function more than an office. And these are functions that ought to be taking place within the church. Not only just offices or people with these things, but functions that take place in the church. So in Ephesians 4.11, he says, It was he, and the he is Jesus, who gave some to be apostles. Now, oftentimes, today we have a lot of people going around calling themselves apostles. Apostle this, apostle that. And if you take the basic terminology in what scripture says, an apostle is one who has seen Jesus and has also spent time with Jesus. Now there's another meaning also to this word apostle, which is the basic meaning for it, messenger, messenger. The word apostle means simply messenger, one who delivers the message of God. So, that's what he's talking about. That within the church, there ought to be those messengers that deliver God's messages. And he goes on and he says, Boy, from apostles, some to prophets. What does a prophet do? Again, he speaks the words of God. He speaks the words of God. He only speaks what God has given him to speak and to share is not already written, is not already known. The prophet is foretelling what God alone can foretell. And then he goes to another word evangelist. What does an evangelist do? An evangelist is all over the place. But what is he doing? He's sharing the message of God. An evangelist doesn't stay in one place. They're constantly moving, going, sharing. That's the difference between an evangelist and a pastor, is that they're constantly on the move, new areas. And then it says pastor, teacher. And those two words there really boil down into one word, shepherding. Shepherding. Or one who watches over. An overseer. And even in First Timothy 3, a man who desires the office. Now you have to understand that word, desire, to begin with. You can desire something, and that's a good desire. That does not mean you've been called to it. You can desire to be something, and yet you are doing something else. Although this is what you would really desire to do. If there's anything I would rather do than be a pastor, it'd be a good furnace man, a good sheet metal man. I love being in my, I was asking my daughter the other day, you remember when I had my shop in my garage, I had my brake, my shears. I'd make up my duck work, And I did everything there and went out and installed it. And Boy, even when I go over to North High School, even though the gym is old, I can look up there and see all my work up there. When I walk down to Ackman General and I go past the kitchen, I can look in that kitchen. Those hoods that, that are hung and everything, I can remember all that. The exhaust hoods and every grill in every room in one section of the hospital, I put in every grill. I did all the duct work coming up to those grills. And when I go out to Blossom Music Center, I can see some of my work yet and so forth. So if I wasn't doing this, I would be doing that. Difference, that's a desire. This is a call. And he says, an evangelist, pastor, teacher. One who shepherds over a flock. One who teaches. And that's the main position of a pastor. Pastor that he teach, he educates. He educates. He teaches the people how to live the Christ life. And he teaches the people how to make the sacrifices that are needed in life in order sometimes to do the will of God. Now, what happens so often in life time is that we don't find ourselves willing to make the sacrifice. If you're not willing to make the sacrifice, you're going to see God do very little in your life. If you're not willing to make the sacrifice, you'll find that God won't call upon you very often to do anything. You have to be willing to die to yourself. You have to be willing to make Christ preeminent in your life. He has to be first, not you. He has to be first. Now go to Ephesians 2, because I want you to see the two works that are going on at the same time. God said he would build, Jesus said he would build his church, and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. That he would build his church but there's another promise also. He will build you individually. When he's building his church, he's building a multitude of people. He's building a group of people. When you're on a basketball team or a volleyball team, or you're with a group of people, guess what? You have to learn how to function as what? One. You have to learn how to play together. You have to learn how each one's moves. You have to know each other just by taking a look of what's going to happen, what's going to take place. You have to know your other players that are on your team. And God is doing that in His church because we're a team. We're the body of Christ. We're a multitude of people working together to bring about a certain goal that he wants to achieve. So that's one work that's going on because he's doing that and bringing us together that we might work and function as one outside in this community and endeavoring to do something that impacts the community. Then at the same time, he's working on me individually. Because he has to recondition my mind. He has to recondition my thoughts. He has to recondition me. Not to be so judgmental of other people. He has to recondition me and he has to build me up. He has to equip me. He has to teach me how to work with other individuals. And not allow their personality or their character. I ain't working with them. I don't want nothing to do with that. No. If you love the Lord Jesus Christ, he's working in your life in order to bring you that you can work within a group or a multitude of people for one purpose, glorify Jesus Christ. Not about you. Look at it here in Ephesians chapter 2. Pick up with me in verse 19. Consequently, You are no longer foreigners and aliens. In other words, boy, he's going to merge what? Jews and Gentiles. He's torn down that middle wall that divides them. And he says, now you're going to learn how to do something. You're going to learn how to sit down at the table together and drink. You're going to learn how to eat together. You're going to learn how to play together. You're going to learn how to work together. That's like the Lord taking a person who is African-American, I mean real African-American, got all his African knowledge, all his African history, and sitting them down with a Ku Klux Klan who was a redneck from here down to here and bringing them together and saying, you're going to work together. You're going to play together. You're going to help each other. And you're going to do things together That's going to glorify me. And both might be saying, uh uh, not me, not me. And that's that personal work that goes on in the inside that God has to do in every one of us to bring us alongside other people that we might be able to perform the work He wants us to do collectively. And He says, You're no longer a foreigner. You're no longer a Gentile per se. You're no longer a Greek or a Roman or a Jew or an Italian. You're no longer a this or that. You're no longer rich or poor. You're no longer the real educated. You're no longer the illiterate. No, you're no longer that. And he simply says consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens. What? Citizens, you are the same. You all have the same inheritance when it comes to heaven. You all have the same power when it comes to the Holy Spirit indwelling you. You all have the same Jesus Christ living in you. And you are all appointed to this one work, Glorify me. And he says, "You are now citizens with God's people. Why would he have to act with God's people? Who would consider God's people? The Jewish group. Now he's bringing what? This Gentile group, these foreign folks. And he's going to do what? Put these two groups of people. Remember what the Jews used to call the Gentiles? Dogs. And Jews were not allowed to go into a Gentile's home. When you read Peter with Cornelius, they were not allowed to interact with each other. Jews would not walk through Samaria. They'd rather take the long road around to Jerusalem rather than take the shortcut through Samaria. They would go all the way around Samaria for they would not defile themselves. And God says, Now, I'm bringing the two of you together and you're going to learn to work for my glory. For my glory. And He says, You are citizens. Together. You're not Gentile, you're not Greek, Italian, Jews. You are the citizens of God. You are the people of God. You worship in the temple of God. And he goes on and he says, But fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. We're all members of God's household. We're all in the family of God. We're all the children of God. Now let me make a hold off here because when I say we're all the children of God, you have this thing going around in the world. We're all children of God. No, we're not. Some of us are the children of Satan's, The children of the devil. And scripture says that in John 8. That you are the children of Satan. That's why in Romans 8, we become adopted children to God. Why? We were all created by God. We are not all the children of God. We are all created by Him. We were all given life by Him. But when you get into Romans 8 and really study it out, you understand you've been adopted into the family of God by God and he accepts you and the reason you know that you know that you know that, his, that you are his child because he gives you his spirit that gives you the freedom to say Abba Father to call God Father Daddy making it very personal why? you have become his child you're no longer just a creation you are now his child Everybody is not a child of God. Everybody is a creation of God. But everybody is not a child of God. And we need to understand that terminology. We need to understand our position. Our position is that we are children of God. And we're in his household. We're more in his kingdom and his household than we are in America. I'm not so much an American as I am a Christian. I'm not so much a black man as I am a Christian. No matter what label I put on myself, I have to stamp Christian there first because I've been saved. And therefore my conduct my thinking, my behavior, how I live is totally different. It's not of this world. It's from above. It's from above. And he goes on and he says, You are members of God's household, built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets. That's what the church is built on. That of the apostles and the prophets of God and the Lord Jesus Christ with God's people and members of God's household verse 20 but on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone now you're talking about the building whenever you hear that word cornerstone you know it's a building because before you ever get ready to start laying a block building a brick building you got to set that first block and they got to be square everything else comes off that block He's the chief cornerstone. He squares up everything. He levels up everything. That first block that is laid. And off that first block comes that line that is run. And this that block is set with that line. And everything is set because of Jesus Christ in our life. But he's talking there about the building. Now I want you to catch a word in the next verse that brings you and I into it. And this is the important part, because often when we're reading, we bypass some small words. He says, in him the whole building is joined together. The whole building is joined together and raised to, to become a holy temple in the Lord. Now catch 22 here. And in him you too. When you use that T O O, what does that mean? In addition of. He's talking about the building, the multitude that he's building, his church that he's building, his family that he's building, the body of Christ that he's building, the temple that he's building. He's talking about that. But then he leaves the multitude and he brings somebody else in. You too. Individually. So he's working on both. The church, the multitude, then the individual also. Because he's bringing the individual where at? into the multitude. That they might learn how to what? Function as one. As one unit. And he says, and to him, You two are being built together. You are being built in order that you two might be built within what is called the church to do the function and the work of the church. To just have a building, it would do nothing. It is the people within the building who collectively then, that God uses to impact the community. It is in the church, individually, God is working on you that you might learn how to work collectively with the others for his glory. We do more together than we can do individually. And that's the part that Satan has destroyed in many of us. Because as long as Satan can keep a husband and wife separated, they will never, never achieve their full possibilities. They won't hardly reach their goals. And when children come along, if they don't really become part of the family, it makes it harder in that family to achieve the goals that it wants to achieve. But when everybody's working together, it's easier to achieve. It's surprising what you can achieve when a husband and wife work as one. It's amazing what can be accomplished. But when you're divided, sometimes you wonder, why can't we do anything? Why can't we get anywhere? Why can't we build anything? Why can't something here change? Because it takes the what? The working together, not individually. And that's the church. The church is learning how to work together as one. Everybody in the church got a complaint. But those who complain, if they would do half of the work, there would be no complaints. It's surprising the ones who don't work do all the complaining. They can tell you what you should do, what you you ought to do, and the right way of doing it, but won't lift a finger. Individually in our lives, likewise, God is trying to teach us. But understand something, when God is teaching, you have to be willing to participate. If you don't participate, you become just exactly what James says. You become only a hearer of the word, but not a doer of the word. And too often in church, we got too many hearers who don't want to do. As somebody said earlier, it's uncomfortable. It's not what I like to do. It's not what I want to do. Well, in that case, all you do is become a hearer of the word. Go to James chapter 1. Look at verses 22 and verse 25. James chapter 1. Verse 22. Do not merely listen. Do not merely listen. And one of the first things we try to tell students to do: listen, listen, listen. Because if you don't listen, you can't learn. But after you've listened, do you do? That becomes the question afterwards. See, you can listen and. And you can become a storehouse and you can quote God's word and you can quote all the apostles, all the books in the Bible and who did this and who did that and it's all dammed up in here. But it doesn't do any good until it gets out here. And you see God functioning in his word. Keeping his word. Keeping his promises using you. And you see something else take place, a transformation in your own life. You knew what you once were, but you are seeing yourself change because you are actually performing God's Word. And when you begin to perform God's Word, you begin to change yourself because you find yourself living in a different world than what you thought you lived in. And, and James simply says there, he said, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. So if you just listen and you just gather knowledge, but you're not doing anything, the only person you're fooling and tricking is who? You. You. You're deceiving yourself. Because you're not really participating with the word. Now come on down into verse 25. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. What does John say in chapter 8? The word of God, what? Sets us, what? Free. What does it set us free from? The more God's word you learn, the more you are set free of your old life that held you captive. Your old life that caused you to be fearful to do this or to do that. Your old life that didn't know anything about walking in faith. Your old life that had no power or seen any power what prayer can do. Your old life of unbelief. But as you allow the word of God to step into your life, you begin to step out of the old life into a new life into a different life, into an amazing life, into a life, boy, this is wonderful, a life of expectation. God, I'm looking for you to do something. Lord, I'm look, Lord, now you told me to be here. Now what's going to happen? I'm here. A life of expectation of seeing God work in your life. And he says there, but the man who looks intently into The perfect law that gives freedom. That's what God's word does. It gives freedom. Secondly, and continues to do this. You continue to hear God's word. You continue to do what God's word says do. Not forgetting what he has heard. But doing it. But doing it. What does he mean by doing it? You are participating with it. You're involved with it. You're actually living it out. Lord, I don't want to be kind to that. Lord, you don't know what they said about me. Lord, you don't know what they did to me. Lord, you don't. I, and you tell me to be kind to them? And God says, yes, I want you to be kind to them. I want you to encourage them. They never said an encouraging word to me. Why should I say anything to them? Whenever I speak to them, they're arrogant, they're mean, they're disrespectful. And God says, give a word of encouragement. Give a word of kindness. Give a word that builds up, that doesn't tear down. Sometimes we're so stuck on what people have done to us that God can't use us. And yet the ones who hurt Christ the worst is the one in whom he loves the most. Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the night's over. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Jesus loved Peter. Jesus loved Peter. And he says, you begin to practice what the word says what he has heard, but do it. Now catch this because this is the most important part of this part, this this ending. We got everybody running around and talking about, I'm blessed, I'm blessed, I'm blessed. Listen to how the scripture says you're blessed. He says, he will be blessed in what he does. I don't want to do that, Lord. What are you missing out on? what God is going to show you, but you're also missing your own blessing. You're missing out on how God wants to bless you because you won't be obedient to the Word. And the blessing comes through the obedience of His Word. God's just not blessing you because of who you are. He's blessing you because of what you do in obeying Him comes the blessing. And you are able to see the power of God by obeying him. Now, this, put these glasses on if I can see the clock up here. Watch people. Study people. The more interested, a person becomes in Jesus. Watch this. They go together. The more interest you have in Jesus, then the more interest you have in his church. The more interest you have in the things that Jesus loves, the more you're going to do those things that Jesus loves. Jesus said in Matthew 7 to those yes you call me Lord yes you call me this yes you call me and a lot of people say they're saved a lot of people say they know Jesus but Jesus says I know you not I know you not hey. the more you are interested in Jesus Jesus then the more you find yourself becoming interested in the work and in the things that he loved. The more interest I have in Lane, the more interest I am or I am concerned about her and those things that she enjoys. She is. She enjoys going out eating now because she didn't cook enough, she said. Well, I'm missing my cook. (laughs) But we go out and eat. (laughs) And them other folks' food don't taste as good as my cook's food. (laughs) But she didn't cook enough. (laughs) But my interest is in Who? Her. I could care less of having a flower outside. I mean, I need a little grass and just cut it. But she loves flowers. She loves out there. She calls this her therapy. See? And she can go out there and stay for hours. See? If she go for me, them flowers are going to be saying, where's you laying? Where's would you lay? But because my concern is for her, she can plant as many flowers as she wants. What you have concern for is where you find yourself giving yourself to. When you are really concerned about Jesus Christ, you'll find yourself involved in his work and in his church. Catch the example here. Because Jesus is an example for all things. Jesus said, I come not to do what? My will. Now ask yourself this question. Whose will are you concerned about? Whose wants and desires are you concerned about? Jesus said, I come to do the will of my Father not mine. His concern was on who? His father. Not his. Father, remove this cup. Is there some other way, Lord, to rescue these people from their sin, from their wickedness? Is there some other way other than going to that cross? Lord, let's just take a magic wand and let's just forgive everybody. I don't have to go to the cross. I don't have to be spit on. I don't have to be beaten. I don't have to be put to shame. I don't have to be ridiculed. Lord, is there another way? Not my will, but your will be done. How many of us come to that conclusion? Not my will, But your will be done. And that's the work that God is doing in us individually. That when we work in a group sometimes, it's not my will, not my way, it's not this. That I can function. Because the issue is this. Is it going to glorify God? Is it going to glorify God? And that's the church's function. And that's the individual function. No matter what we do, individually or collectively, we are for one purpose, glorify God. And that's what James is talking about. If you want to see the blessings, you be obedient to God. Boy, I didn't get too far in my lesson here today. I got a lot more to go here. Hey, uh, me and one of the, of the men, we were talking and uh, there was that verse in the Bible, the Old Testament, after they found a copy of the Old Stroll, that, you know something? The people sit from morning till evening listening to the reading of God's word. We ought to try that one day, shouldn't we? <laughs> no. For us, 15 minutes is, is good, but there's much more to say. I hope that you're catching that. God, there's that work that the church is responsible for on the outside, and there's a work the church is responsible for on the inside. On the inside, we're building up that the people may do something together on the outside that they could not do individually. But on the inside, you come to church. And How many of you want to come to church and laugh? How many of you just want to come to church and, oh yeah, I agree with that because it's agreeing with you. How many of you come to church just to have a good time? My prayer for all these is I was praying this morning. Lord, don't let one of them try to glorify themselves. But let them play in such a way that they glorify you. Now, that's a learning process. Lord, let them understand. You will provide. You know what pastors still have to learn? we don't chase after money. We chase after obedience. That if God places me somewhere, he'll provide for me. I don't have to go for the highest bidding church that wants me. But I go for where God would place me and where he wants me to be at. And as pastors, we're still learning that. And oftentimes as Christians... We'll chase after money rather than after the will of God and where he wants to place us and use us. You have one purpose in life and that is to learn to live for God. To learn to live for God and give God your utmost. Father. Again, we are your people, for better or worse. And we thank you, Lord, that you are patient with us, as it has been mentioned, Lord. And you're long-suffering with us. Lord, forgive us for our slow learning. Forgive us, Lord, for our stubbornness. Forgive us for our hard-headedness. Forgive us, Lord, for our weakness. Forgive us, Lord, for our sinfulness. Lord, work in us. Heal us, Lord. Not just physically, but spiritual. Work in us in such a way that, Lord, we ourselves cannot recognize ourself. Work, work in us, Lord, in a way that, oh God, things that we thought we would never do, we find ourselves doing. Lord, work in us in such a way that when we open up your word, it really is exciting to us. And we're able to explore it. We're able to dig deeper, oh God. We want to know more, Lord. And we're not a people who are just satisfied with top surface. We want to go deeper and deeper and deeper in you, Lord. Father, do your work. Only you can do it, Lord. Pastors can't do it. Elders can't do it. Sunday school teachers can't do it. Only you, Lord. We commend ourselves into your hands once again. Buff us, shine us, break us. Mend us, heal us, that you might show us off to a dying world. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.